What an exciting morning already. It's been really good to be here, and it's going to be good to be here and hear from God and His Word together today. We are actually finishing the series today that is entitled, I Am That Fool. Uh, Here's where we've been. We've been in five sessions together. We've been in, I'm wise in my own eyes. I don't like discipline, I'm defensive when corrected, I trust myself, and today we're looking at I vent my anger. And I'm hoping that uh, by the time we're through, it is indelible to you that what we're addressing is not the fact that we're bad, but we're addressing the fact that God is good And he has given us everything we need to take steps from where we are if those spaces are where we end up in uh, occasionally or even more than occasionally, that he gives us the good news and the way to uh, change some of that, I hope to bring good news today as well. So to get us started today, I'd like to begin with a simple question. Why are people's fuses so short these days? And I think that we've seen uh, in the news, even this week, uh, short fuse reactions and anger. Um, In the news this week, I read an article, in fact, that was sociologists were trying to figure out why it's all over the nation right now just with uh, rage and anger in so many different ways. Now, there are some obvious reasons for these short fuses. I mean, there have been, in the last couple of years, many stresses, many fears, many frustrations, and those stresses, fears, and frustrations have been amplified by an emotional-fueled ideas that are actually polar opposites, and people are taking sides on these ideas, and these are emotionally charged, and people are angry. You take that, and you also... Add to the fact that people are telling you what you can and can't do, and people are just reacting. Now, those are the obvious things that we've seen in the last couple of years, but the less obvious, maybe to some, but um, maybe you think it's obvious, the less obvious sociologists are saying this. They're saying that social distancing untethered people from school, work, church, and other social gatherings. And sociologists are now saying that this shifted our outlooks, our attitudes, and behaviors, and that shift, even when people are starting to gather again, has not shifted back. Think about that. We became untethered from our social groupings, And all of these stresses, fears, frustrations, and emotionally charged reactions created a shift inside of us, our outlooks, our behaviors, and our our reactions to such a degree that we have not yet shifted back. One sociologist by the name of Robert Sampson, a Harvard sociologist who studies social disorder said, When we become untethered, we tend to prioritize our own private interests over those of others or the public. So because we were pulled out of our groupings and we were mad about that, we now prioritize me over you. 
and me over the public. And that's still popping out all over our nation with these strange, untethered, coming unglued behaviors. And uh, so sociologists are busy trying to figure out what is going on and trying to piece this together to help us understand where we are and what do we do. Now, two very common reactions to our own anger are these two, blowing up and clamming up. Think about yourself. When you're angry, do you tend to blow up or do you tend to clam up? My tendency is more often to be clamming up than it is to blow up, but I do both. And I'm that fool. So, both of these, now you may assume that clamming up is better than blowing up, but both of these are destructive behaviors. Anger is an emotional energy. And this emotional energy when blowing up is aimed at others. Emotional energy when we decide to clam up starts to do its thing inside of us and becomes aimed at us even when we don't intend it to be aimed at us. We begin to stew and out of that stewing over the emotional energy and not doing what we could be doing with it, which is neither blowing up or clamming up, there's actually a better response to anger, um, it, it begins to do a number on us. And I could name off a few numbers it does on us, but let's just name off resentment and bitterness. And it goes underground, it becomes depression and all kinds of other things as it just churns and burns and stews within us. So, Let's talk about venting, blowing up. In Proverbs 29.11, we read this, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. I would like to introduce you to my tea kettle. This really is our tea kettle from home. I'm under strict orders to make sure to bring it home today. Not to forget it, which is my tendency to do, but to remember it. Um, this tea kettle spends most of its time silent. Occasionally, though, it gets filled up, and then it starts to get warmed up, and then it gets heated up, and as it's heated up, it, it starts to make some sound. But when it hits a really, really hot measure and it starts to boil inside, it screams and makes everyone within earshot of its spout quite uncomfortable. My tea kettle has a name. Its name is Jim. <laughs> Point number one. I spout like a tea kettle. Although I may clam up more than I blow up, I have done my foolish share of venting my anger. I'm embarrassed to say it. As soon as I do it, I almost 
always quickly regret it. And over time, I come to understand that that venting anger is not what I thought it was in the moment I was venting. I thought it was those persons I'm venting at, and unfortunately for those persons that are closest to me, I vent at those that are closest to me. I clam up with those that are not that close. But I begin to vent with those closest to me. By the grace of God, those closest to me are still closest to me. (laughs) And it's not by my goodness, it's by God and his goodness and grace that that is still true. So what I'd like to ask now is this question, Is it a sin for me to be angry? The answer is no. The initial feeling of anger is a God-given emotion. The way you respond and express this emotion determines whether or not you allow your anger to become sin. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 26, In your anger, do not sin. So it's very possible to be angry because anger is an emotion and it's actually a God-given emotion and God himself understands and feels that emotion. It's part of our reflected nature in emotion, but God is always controlled in his uh, use of that emotion. Unfortunately, I'm not. And sometimes my emotion interprets wrongly. Uh, Let me correct that. Every time I blow up in anger, almost always my interpretation of what I'm angry at is wrong. I'm blind to it while I'm venting. I think I'm angry at the person I'm venting at. Almost every single time that is not true. I'm angry at my interpretation of the events that are taking place. And on more occasions than not, I'm actually angry about a whole lot of other things too that have nothing to do with that person. And I finally blew up. And I aimed my spout at the wrong person. In my anger, I began to vent destruction. Now, the sin is not the anger. The sin is in what we do with it. On the screen, I'd like to propose to you that your anger is a signal that something is wrong, like the red warning light on the dashboard of a car. Okay? Clamming up is like putting duct tape over the warning light and pretending it's not there. It hasn't solved a thing. Okay? The engine that is, the light is saying, check your engine, is still busy self-destructing if you don't solve it quickly. Clamming up makes it uh, very, very dangerous. Let me finish the sentence in Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So blowing up or clamming up is not the best solution. Opening the hood to figure out what's really going on is the starting point. Now, let me just tell you plainly, um, when we are really, really angry, we're blind. 
We have interpreted the events in such a way that the only way we see the events is through those interpretations, and so we're really, really mad, and typically it comes out like this. I'm angry at you. The reason why I'm angry is you, and that's wrong. It's your interpretation of you and what you said and what that means. It's a narrative that we have created in our mind as to what is taking place and why it's taking place and why I'm so angry. And we're blind to the other person's perspective and what is really taking place or God's perspective. And so when I'm really venting and really angry, you know what it reveals? It reveals more about me and what's going on with me than it's really revealing about the person I'm spouting off to. In James, uh, before we go to James, so the light comes on. I'm not a mechanic when a car light comes on. So when the light comes on, I take it to a mechanic, because I'm clueless. I mean, I will make it look like I know what I'm doing. I will open the hood and look around, but I don't know what I'm looking for, <laughs> right? But I'm a man, so I should open the hood, <laughs> right? But when you're angry inside and the light says open the hood, it's really hard for me to even figure out what's going on. But we do need to go to a mechanic. Who we need to see is a soul mechanic. Sometimes that is a very knowledgeable person in the word, but always, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we go to the wonderful counselor. Who is the wonderful counselor? Isaiah says it's Jesus himself. Wonderful counselor, almighty God. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Wonderful counselor the counselor who will be walking with you. Go to the counselor. That's the better solution. It's not blowing up. It's not clamming up. It's praying up. I have discovered that the more I try to fix it in my non-mechanic ways, because I'm not the wonderful counselor in the middle of my anger, I make it worse. But if I will stop blowing up and stop clamming up and start praying up, the wonderful counselor goes to work in me. And as the wonderful counselor goes to work in me, something changes. I recommend at some time, or maybe from this point forward, when you read the Psalms, please note how frequently the psalmist, there's more than one writer of the Psalms, writes Angry words, words you, you wouldn't dare say. You wouldn't dare pray, but we must. We must pray up our anger because God knows we're angry. We must talk about our anger to him because he's not surprised. And he, in his wonderful work, will begin to address what's going on inside of us. And you'll notice in these psalms, there's usually a change of tone from the journaling prayer of my anger to a shift that God is the solution, okay? By the way, some of those imprecatory prayers in the psalms, I do not recommend you pray them, okay? We are in a different time frame where we're to pray more like Jesus, but when you're angry, God knows, let him know. And that's a great place to go. 
Don't do like the therapists say. Start beating up your pillow. The therapists have to literally remind people, remember, that's just a pillow. Because what they're doing is they're acting out murder on an object instead of the person they want to murder. It's not helping. It's fueling. Okay? Go to the wonderful counselor. Praying up. James 3, 5 through 6 reads, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it is itself set on fire by hell. What we're talking about here isn't just this little flapping muscle in my mouth. We're talking about words. Words are powerful things. A fire is a powerful thing. As small as this flame is, it can be used to warm me up and comfort me by creating a controlled fire when I'm in the middle of a death-chilling cold. But the same flame can destroy whole forests of people. Words can warm and comfort or set the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself on fire by hell. Point number two. My uncontrolled words are a wrecking ball. My uncontrolled words are a wrecking ball. Proverbs 25, 28 reads, Like a city whose walls are broken, broken through is a person who lacks self-control. In ancient times, a city's only protection was how high and how thick and how well-guarded and how impenetrable were its walls. That's how cities were guarded. And now we're taking that picture of a perfectly well-guarded city and comparing that with uncontrolled anger and uncontrolled anger literally destroys the walls of protection and it's not talking about of the city, which that is also true. It's talking about the walls of protection for you as an individual. That very literally, when you lose control and start blowing up And it doesn't matter whether it's blowing up or clamming up. That uncontrolled stewing that takes place is also punching holes through your protection. And the fires of hell are released and they all come through the holes to destroy you. And a lot of people don't believe that. And certainly you will not believe it while you feel so good to let somebody know what's really going on inside of you. 
You're blind in that moment that you're destroying yourself. You've literally invited the release of the fires of hell, and I'm not just talking about fires, I'm talking about demons, the powers of darkness, to enter into your life and begin to wreak havoc, and we've watched it. Haven't you ever seen somebody come unglued? Haven't you ever seen somebody come unhinged? And what is the first thing we say to ourselves? What has happened to you? It's like we don't know them anymore. What's become of them? What's become of them is they invited the demonic fires of hell into their being. And their soul is literally being wrecked by their uncontrolled invitation through their anger. Aren't you glad you came? Such a happy thought. <laughs> but I'm not going to end there. Um, my whole purpose of going there is not to make us all depressed about every single time we get angry. My whole purpose of going there is we've all been angry. What we need is a solution. So I'm bringing good news to us. You just have to wait. Wait till point four. <laughs> okay, point three. Point three is this. My quick-draw gavel is still a smoking gun. My quick-draw gavel. If I had a holster, I would have put it in a holster. Did I say anger is destructive? I just put dents in my table. This is actually my leather working mallet, but we'll let it illustrate being a symbol of too quick to judge and too quick to judge because you're angry. It's still a smoking gun, and it's done its damage. There's murder behind it. There's vandalism behind it. We're literally destroying somebody when we're doing it. James 1, 19 through 20, reads, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Do not forget that. You've heard me say this over and over again in recent years, because it was in recent years that God kicked me in the pants and said, you are the most dangerous when you think you're right. It's when I think I'm right that I'm the most dangerous with my gavel, whoever I am my spout at. And he's telling us only the fool does that. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, the argument goes, well, Jesus was angry, and Jesus overturned the tables, and Jesus was able to do this, and Jesus, by the way, was sinless, and he could pull it off without sin. I have not yet been able to pull off anger spouting off 
or slamming down or steamrolling or using a wrecking ball without sin. Let's not just leave us with the bad news diagnosis, which is, I am that fool. Once we recognize that, we need to move off of that label to the good news. The one danger of me choosing this title throughout this whole series was that we might walk away with the wrong label. If we walk away identifying our sin, that's good. If we walk away that this label becomes our identity, that's bad. Because our identity, based on the good news, is found in Jesus Christ. And he's no fool. The remedy, point number four, is divine power. The answer when we are angry is not blowing up or clamming up, but praying up. Psalms is filled with this. So is the New Testament. Second Peter is just one example. Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for God, a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, in view of our time together, in a limited time, I'm just going to cut to the chase and just speed through some very important truths that we need to affirm based on this verse. So on the screen, God offers us divine power, everything we need through Jesus. Would you just say that with me? God offers us divine power, everything we need through Jesus. So when you're angry, God offers us divine power, everything we need through Jesus to deal with this anger. So let's be praying up instead of blowing up. Let's be praying up instead of climbing up. And there's an, any number of other t- possible responses. But let's be praying up. And let's be praying up not just when we're angry. Let's be praying up as our identity. That we are now drawn near to God, invited into the throne room of God, having access to God himself and his divine power because of what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to walk through those steps a little bit on the screen, point by point by point. My forgiveness is found at the cross. Yes? I was that fool and now I'm a forgiven fool. (laughs) Buried with Christ, my uncontrolled anger is buried in his tomb. If it's a habit to have uncontrolled anger, I need to grab onto the identity of Jesus and let that identity transform me, change thoughts, change habits, change life. But it's going to be praying up that does it and connecting to God in close intimacy that does it So there's a daily habit in this new identity, grabbing a hold of Jesus' lifestyle, Jesus' teachings, Jesus' habits, Jesus' practices. It's not just believing in Jesus on the cross and Jesus risen. It's living out the life of Jesus in me. Okay? I am resurrected and made new. I am filled with divine power by God's spirit, filling my cleansed life. It's only because Jesus cleansed me through his 
work on the cross that I can receive the Holy Spirit. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, having died for you on the cross to exchange his righteousness and give it to you and take your sins away and bury your sins, if you haven't united with Jesus, you need to so that you can be buried with Christ, so that you can have a cleansed life and be filled with his Spirit. And lastly, I have everything I need for life and godliness. So right now, I want to just finish with, this is my new identity in Christ. When I say I'm that fool, that was my old identity talking. The new me is set free in Jesus, changed thoughts and changed habits. And at this point, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we bring this series to a close. I'm going to have a series of short statements that I want you to say with me. They won't be on the screen, so you have to listen carefully. All of these are true if you are in Jesus. Uh, The new me in Jesus can say, I'm not that fool. Say it. In Jesus, you can say, I'm not that fool. Okay? Now, this whole series I've been saying and training you to say, I'm that fool. But it's for the purpose of understanding we've got to identify this sin. We usually dodge it. We hang on to the description of the wise person and automatically assume, oh yeah, I believe that, I believe that, and therefore I'm wise. But catch yourself and know that your old man will raise its ugly head. Your old woman too. (laughs) Raise its ugly head and spout off or clam up and run destructive behaviors. I'm not that fool. Here's this thing I want you to say. I'm God's child. Amen. I'm called by his own glory and goodness to shine in the image of Jesus. I have access to everything I need for life and godliness in Jesus. I'm not blowing up. I'm not clamming up. I'm praying up. In Jesus, we have access to everything we need for life and godliness. In Jesus, we have access to everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? Lord Jesus, we have declared new truths, a new identity, gifts that you've given us through Jesus. We each recognize that the old sinful nature will raise its ugly head. And often we invite the enemy to enter in and wreak havoc as if there's authority there, but it's a lie. You have claimed us, you've called us by your glory and grace, you've made us your child. We are now royalty, sons of the king and daughters of the king and given your spirit and your character. And part of that character is self-control from your spirit. So we'll be people who are prayed up. We draw near to you that we can catch your character and bring glory and honor to your name. Help us to live in the reality of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I urge you to move from your seat, talk to the prayer team over there, have them pray over you and just confess your faith and ask Jesus to be your Savior. Go to start here as fast as you can and it will help you along. God bless you. See you next week. We start a new series called Holy Week. Holy Week.